0: Good morning. Good morning and can I give you all a very warm welcome uh, to Valerie Sheehan and to her service of worship this morning. It's lovely to see you all and it's lovely to say a, a special word of welcome to the family and friends of Alistair and Dawn and of course that will be Ben as Ben is uh, will be baptised today and uh, I know some of you folks have, have travelled from down the country and uh, but it's great to see, and it's great just to have the, the church filled. I was saying, I should take a picture of this when there's so many people in, and then post it up somewhere and say, look, we're doing great in, in So uh But no, you're all very welcome. Um, we just hope and pray that you feel at home as we, as we worship God uh, together, and as we have this very special day for Alistair and Dawn and for little Ben. You're very welcome. Uh, we have a few announcements uh, this morning. We meet for Cafe Church tonight. At uh, 5:30, 5:30 in the hall, and we're going to be continuing in our series of uh, my story. And uh, tonight, uh, Laura Bellingham-Douglas and myself, uh, uh, Laura will be sharing um, uh, about her story. And she's she's, she's looking delighted over there as I draw attention to that fact. Uh, But no, we're looking forward to that tonight. So 5:30 tonight, come along. There will be kids' club as normal, um, but after there will be no youth fellowship tonight. Youth Fellowship will meet next Sunday, uh, God willing, at the usual time, and uh, we'll have more details about that, so Cafe Church tonight, 5.30, and then also to remind members of Youth Club uh, that there will be no Youth Club uh, this incoming weekend, this Saturday, but good morning, good morning, Luke, uh, but, sorry, I got distracted, Looks good, you got funny teeth in, Luke, <laughs> I does? I thought that boy's been fighting, but there we are, and, uh, What was I saying? Oh a youth club. (laughs) There's uh, no youth club this Saturday, but on the following Saturday for youth club. And then I think just finally uh, this morning, just to draw your attention to number five in the announcements, hard to believe, but Shoebox Sunday in Ballery will be on the 17th of November. Uh, so, uh, uh, th- thankfully, Anne, uh, Anne Vance has, has taken over um, the role of uh, of looking after our shoebox. So, all the information is there at Sunday the 17th, and if you're able to get a shoebox or you need to know more information, then please speak to Anne, and she's also put her, her number there um, uh, for that. So, getting ready for, for Christmas. So, there we are. Now, these are um, all the announcements uh, this morning. Uh, we've come uh, together today to worship God and just before we we stand to sing I just want to share a few uh, a few verses of scripture from Revelation uh, before we before we sing in Revelation chapter 21 and from verse 1 we read then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea I saw a holy city new Jerusalem for the first things have passed away. And as we, the the redeemed of God, we will one day behold that great vision in all its glory. And God goes on to say to John and to each of us, it is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. But until that day, uh, until that day, we worship in the glorious expectancy of what is yet to come. And that is why we worship. So we stand to worship God as we sing our opening praise. As the deer, let us worship God.
1: As the deer bands fall,
0: And we continue to worship as we unite our hearts before God in prayer. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we approach, Lord, your throne of grace this morning. We approach your throne, Father, with confidence because because of Christ's completed work upon the cross. And we also approach you today as our Father, Lord, and we thank you that that this is even possible. We thank you that you call us your children. You call us sons and daughters of the living Lord. We thank you too, Lord, that that we have been created in your image. That there miraculously is, is something of you within each of us. And Father, we thank you that you know us. We thank you, Lord, that You know every little detail about every one of us. Lord, you know our our worries and you know our concerns. You know our joys. And Lord, you also know our sorrows. And we thank you, Lord, that you call us to bring all of these things before you. You call us to bring ourselves before you this day. Thank you for that reminder, Lord, that we have not been been left uh, to, to fend for ourselves upon this planet. And so this morning, Lord, as we worship you, as we sing and as we pray and as we listen to your voice, we ask, Lord, that you would meet with us in this place. Lord, that you would bless us with your holy presence. And as you do that, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes afresh, Lord, to your splendor. Open our hearts, Father, to your love. And and open our minds also, Lord, to your purpose. And open our spirits to your presence this morning. And Father, forgive us. Lord, forgive us that all too often we take your many, many gifts for granted. Losing sense, losing our sense of privilege and, and wonder at your awesome generosity and your, your glorious love and grace. Forgive us, Father, for, for often singing praises with our lips, Lord, without meaning it in our hearts. For offering worship out of a sense of duty rather than as a privilege, as a glorious privilege. Help us, Lord, to rejoice Um, in your love, to rejoice in you each moment, to bring our praise each day and to offer our service gladly to you always, faithful to you. Because, Lord, you've always been faithful to us. And, Lord, forgive us when we feel you, our lives, when our lives betray our calling and they betray your love. Forgive us, Father, when people look at us and instead of, of seeing something of you They see only ourselves we pray for more of you lord forgive us father when the things we say and do how they deny the gospel rather than proclaiming its message to all so lord help us to be a holy people a people reflecting your love and showing your compassion and who respond to your guidance in our lives help us to be a people who will point others to the cross of Christ and point them to Jesus, who point them to that place of forgiveness and healing, to that place where, where death has been turned to life, where mourning has turned to joy because of what Christ has achieved on the cross. So, Father, we thank you that, that you want to meet with us, that you want to speak to us, that you want to move in us and work through us, So we pray, Holy Spirit, come and draw us near as we draw near to you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and and sing again to, uh, to God's praise. Oh, praise the name. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. Oh, praise the name. Let us stand and worship.
1: His body burns. on Jesus' face.
0: to God's Word now and um, we're taking uh, a brief uh, break uh, in our, our study in uh, the book of Acts that we've been looking at now for um, a number of, of months, uh, believe it or not. And I just want to turn uh, this morning uh, to uh, the letter to the Hebrews and uh, we're going to spend the next uh, number of weeks um, looking through this, uh, this letter and uh, we're beginning at chapter 1 this morning, and uh, you'll find it on page uh, 1,201 in our pew Bibles, Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 to 14. Now, some people would say that Hebrews is probably one of the the, the more difficult New Testament letters to to understand and to apply to our lives, and 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 I, and I hope over the next number of weeks um, uh, to prove that wrong, hopefully, and that we learn great truths from this. So we're going to read verses 1 through to 14, and this is. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, his servants flame. he makes his angels winds; his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the sceptre of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed. But you remain the same and your years will never end to which of the angels did God ever say sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation amen and we trust that God will add his blessing to this reading of his word as I mentioned it's uh, it's always a joy and a delight uh, when parents bring their, their little ones uh, to be baptised. And uh, it's, it's something that was an uh, uh, infinitely greater joy to Jesus himself. In Matthew 18, we read of how Jesus, how he showed the, the special love that he had for And has for for the little children. When he took the little ones in his arms. And he he put his hands on them. And in blessing them he said. Let the little ones come to me. And do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Jesus continued. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God. Like a little child. Will never enter it. And we in uh, the Presbyterian church. Believe very strongly. That the Bible acknowledges this special place that our children have in the heart of God and the sacrament of infant baptism is all about the really uh, important issues of of bringing our children to Jesus the Bible teaches that baptism is God's sign of salvation it was the Lord Jesus Christ who instructed us to baptize in the Old Testament circumcision was a sign of God's blessing of salvation promised in the covenant made with Abraham and in the new testament baptism is the sign of the new covenant and of salvation in Christ. Presbyterians believe that it is appropriate for Christian parents to have their child baptized because of God's covenant with Abraham. The sign of the covenant was given not only to Abraham who believed but also to Abraham's children. And we believe that in the New Testament, the promises of the covenant are extended to all true believers and to their children. Baptism does not mean the child becomes a Christian. Although salvation is promised, in time children must trust and believe in Jesus Christ for themselves. And in fact, it's so important that we can place this this picture right at the very heart of our covenant theology, which is the very basis on which we baptize the children of believing parents. It speaks of, baptism speaks of both um, inclusion. Jesus brings the little ones in from the outside and includes them in spite of the the disciples' efforts to, to keep them out. And by these actions, Jesus declares that he wishes to receive children. And taking them in his arms, he not only embraces, but also he blesses them by the laying on of hands, from which we infer that his grace is extended even to those who are of that age. And by embracing them, he testified that they are counted as being among his flock. See, infant baptism brings our children right into the presence of Jesus. This is where he receives them to himself and it's where we as a, as a church family receive them into our fellowship and we, we take them into our hearts. So the truth is that through the baptism of their children, parents dedicate, you guys are dedicating the most important thing that you have to God, namely your son. And we are more than glad to receive such treasures of God into our fellowship. That's why we as a congregation, we take our vow which is really the vow of of Godparents, essentially, in which we promise to, to teach the children about God, their Heavenly Father, and to help them to walk in the ways of Jesus Christ so that they may always love the Lord. And that is what we want our church to be for our children and young people, a place of nurture and love and care. Jesus said... It was recorded in the, in, 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 in the book of Acts, uh, spoken through Peter, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far afar uh, off, for all whom the Lord our God shall call. Now I'm going to invite uh, Alistair and Don uh, to come and join me at the front. No. Alistair and Don. who oh Ben. All
2: right, so
0: I was just saying, you know, they change they just they change that quick, you know, from from that age from one week to the next, you see a change in them. So we're doing good so far. So my hands are freezing, I shouldn't be touching you there. Alistair and Donna, you know that it is the duty of those who bring their children for infant baptism to profess your own faith publicly and to claim a like faith for your little one. It is also your duty to promise to bring up your child in the Christian faith and to teach them the standards and values of the Christian way of life so that along with the help and encouragement of this congregation, Ben will grow up to accept the Lord Jesus as his own personal Saviour and Lord. So first of all, a profession of your faith. Alistair and Dawn, in presenting your child for Christian baptism, do you confess your own faith in God as your Heavenly Father, in Jesus Christ as your Saviour and Lord, and in the Holy Spirit as your sanctifier and guide? Secondly then, a promise to teach your child the Christian way of life. Do you promise with the help of Almighty God to teach your child the truth and duties of the Christian faith and by prayer, teaching and example to bring your child up in the nurture and discipline of the Lord? We do. We do. Will the congregation please stand? And as members of the congregation, the sacrament of infant baptism lays solemn obligations upon us. So, as a sign of our willingness to accept Ben into our congregational family, we say together the vow on the screen. As part of his Christian family, we give thanks for the gift of Ben and we welcome him into our fellowship. We promise to teach him about God, his heavenly Father, and to help him walk in the ways of Jesus Christ so that he may always love the Lord. Now, come on, wee man. Here we go. You'll be fine. Look, there's Mummy and Daddy there. There we go. Ben Alistair Graham. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and may the blessing of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with you both now and forevermore. Amen. Good lad.
2: <laughs>
0: and we'll remain standing as we sing together the words of the ironic Blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you.
1: Bless you and keep
0: Please be seated. That was lovely. Hey, Daddy. There you go. Okay. All right. You guys just want to take a seat. Okay. Thank you. I have to say, he did very well there because I soaked him. (laughs) He really got it, actually. I'm still wet. Good lad. Uh, I'm going to invite our clerk of session, Mr David Vance, uh, to come now and to make a, a, a presentation. Thanks David. Now, before the boys and girls, boys and girls, we're going to sing and then boys and girls can leave for for Sunday school and and Little Fishes. Uh, We're going to stand and sing hymn number 375 Our Children, Lord, in Faith and Prayer. And we continue now to worship as we bring our offering. Your offering will now be received. Let's pray. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come on to me and rest. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that only in you truly do we find rest. And you said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And Lord, there are times in life, and perhaps even for some of us today, that, that life doesn't seem restful can sometimes seem chaotic and haphazard and, and, Lord, sometimes we're running from one thing to the next and, and Lord, just pray. We pray that you would help us to, to find our rest and our peace in you, to be able to slow down and to, to live out of your strength and out of your grace and your love. That you are a resting place, you are our, our fortress, our shield, our hiding place that we can rest in you. Help us even now to do that today. For whatever may be in our minds or on our hearts, may be worrying us or concerning us, whatever it may be. Lord, just help us just in this time to rest in you and to rest in your um, all-encompassing arms. And we pray, Father, for those who are... Um, perhaps nursing a loved one at this time and we remember our folks who are currently in hospital and who are very ill and we just pray father for your your peace and and your presence to be known to them too we pray that you would give them rest especially those who would sit beside the 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 bedside of, of a loved one that they would be able to rest in you and to know you lord even now we thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you never leave us, you never forsake us, and we just pray, Father, that that they and we would know your closeness and presence today. Lord, thank you for for church family. Thank you for our family here in and Lord. We thank you for one another and for the fellowship that we enjoy and that we, we share together for our love and, and ultimately, Lord, for, for your lordship over our lives. And we pray, Father, asking that you would help us as we vow to do, to, to, to nurture and to pray for our little ones. And we thank you for our children. And we just pray, Lord, as, as this week, if they have a week off school, we pray for safety and for, for protection for them. And that, Lord, you would watch over them and protect them. And you would draw them to yourself. As Jesus did, as we've been reminded, you would draw the children, our children, to you, Lord. To know you and to put their trust in you. Father, we thank you too for uh, this opportunity to bring our gifts and our offerings. And we pray, Lord, that you would take and use them. Take them, Lord. They are yours. We give them to you joyfully, praying that you would use them for the glory of your name and for the advancement of your kingdom. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And we're going to stand. Before we come to God's word, we're going to stand and sing, uh, My Jesus, my Saviour, Lord, there is none like you.
1: jesus my savior lord there is none like you all of my days i want to praise the wonders of your mighty to worship Of your mighty love my comfort my shelter tower of refuge and strength let every breath all that i am never cease to We
0: To the Hebrews um, is I have to say it's one of my my favorite uh, New Testament uh, letters it is it is from it that I I first memorized uh, a portion of scripture chapter 12 and verse 1 therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off every sin that entangles us and snares us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us but when it comes to to books of the New Testament, we know nothing, absolutely nothing, of who the author of this letter was. We don't know uh, who they they were writing to, or the geographical location of either the author or the recipients of the letter. Scholars, some biblical scholars have suggested that Barnabas, who we read about last week, or Paul, uh, that they might have written it, But the early church fathers, the founding fathers of the church after the apostles had had died and gone to glory, the fathers could show that the style of writing is is, uh, considerably different to the letters of Paul that we have in the New Testament. Other scholars have suggested possible authors such as as Clement or or Luke, even Luke, the author um, of uh, his gospel and also uh, the, the Acts of the Apostles. But in today's biblical scholarship, the the prevailing opinion is that we don't know with any certainty who the author was. But what we do know about the book and the context—sorry, uh, w- we, we 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 don't know about the book, and we don't know the context in which it was um, it was written. Uh, so these are the things. These are the things that we that we do know, however. Uh, the first thing that we can be sure of is that the author knew his recipients. He knew he was, he, who he was writing to. In chapter 13, we read of how he, he longs uh, to be reunited with them. And we can presume that the, uh, the author was male, a man, as he refers to himself using the, the masculine um, uh, participle. Also, the author and, and his recipients had a, a mutual friend uh, in Timothy And we can also assume that this was the same Timothy who ministered alongside Paul. We also know that the the author's audience would have been primarily Jewish converts to Christianity. There are elements of the letter which address those of a Jewish background and understanding and also those who are new to the faith, converts to Christianity, which would also include Gentile converts to Christianity, but primarily was written to Jewish converts to Christianity. Now this is all very important and we're, we're getting to it. The date of which the letter was written is also somewhat ambiguous. We, we don't know but what we can ascertain is that it was almost, the letter was almost certainly written in the first century and probably before AD 70 roughly 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And what is crucial in trying to pinpoint the date of the letter is whether the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in AD 70, whether that had taken place. Had this event already occurred, it would have given the author a clear argument for the, the abolition of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Although it would appear from what he writes on various occasions that this system, this temple system of, of, of sacrifice is still in operation. So as for a date, we're looking around 65 to 69 AD. So... Um, we, uh, it was written around 65 to 69 AD, so we, we don't know who wrote the letter, we don't know where the letter the letter was written from, we don't know who the letter was written to, or the exact date of when it was written. So perhaps you ask the question, why is it why is it even even in the Bible, in the canon of Scripture? What authority does it have as the Word of God? If we don't know who wrote it, and we don't know who it was written to, well, then why should we study it and apply its teaching? Our lives. Well, if that were to be the case, we would be the worse for it. The important thing is not who wrote the letter or to whom it was written. What is of greatest importance are the eternal and, and glorious truths that are contained within its pages. Because at its core, at the core of the letter, the theme which, which weaves itself through the letter is that Christ Jesus is, is greater than, than any angel or priest or old covenant institution. That as we read, we see that we are, uh, uh, are summoned to, to hold on by faith to the, the true rest and the peace that is found in Jesus. And we are to encourage others within and outside of the church to do the same thing. And I have to say that I have in some way found, it, found approaching this text to be, to be a great challenge. Hebrews has, has often been described as one of the most difficult books in all of the scriptures, to study and to uh, interpret. But those aren't reasons that that we shy away from it. Because Hebrews is a book which challenges us and it really challenges us to listen. It challenges us to listen to what God is saying to us, firstly as a church and then secondly as individual Christians. It calls us to evaluate our lives in light of what scripture teaches. So therefore, we need to sit up. We, we need to, to open our ears and our minds to God's spirit of truth. Truth. We need to listen. There was a man from, from Leeds who, uh, who visited his doctor to have his hearing checked. The doctor removed the man's hearing aid and the patient's hearing immediately improved. The poor man had been wearing his hearing aid in the wrong ear for over 20 years true and you and i know now we know that there is a difference between hearing and really listening very often and terry smiling at me very often terry tells me things for example what i need to to organize and what i need to get together for getting george and flo ready for school in the morning now i hear what she's saying but quite often i'm not really listening and it remind it reminds me Anyway, my wife said, I never listen. At least I think that's what she said. Now, it reminds me of a time when George, George was very little, and I was getting him ready uh, to take him to uh, the Childminder. And Terry told me on a number of occasions, as she was going out to work, where the bag was that had all George's bits and pieces in it. And as George and I were, were, were rushing out the door, Terry shouted to me, Have you got the right bag with you? To which I replied, Aye! And we were, we were on our way. And we arrived at the childminder's house and uh, I started to, to, to chat with the childminder about the plans for the day. And, and I, looked, I looked inside the bag, which I had quickly grabbed, and there was an oven dish. And there was a set of, of new clothes pegs, which we had bought in the town before. And do you know what my first reaction was? Why has Terry given me a bag with an oven dish and clothes pegs in it? I wanted to blame her. But the truth was, I hadn't been listening. I heard her, but I wasn't listening. Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And really, what this statement suggests is that it takes more than just our physical ears to hear what God is saying to us. To hear the voice of God, we must also have a receptive heart. So as we listen for God's voice, what I want us to do this morning in way of, of introduction to this book is look at some of the reasons for studying it and ask the question, why should we study Hebrews? Well, the first reason um, I believe we should study the letter is because God is calling us to do so. He is calling us. He is, he is calling us to seek Him and in doing so to develop a greater intimacy with Christ. He is calling us once more to fix our eyes upon Jesus You know, we live in a time and in a society and a culture whose eyes have been taken off Jesus. But as a church, He is calling us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And in doing so, to lead us into a greater and and into bolder acts of service to the glory of His name. Secondly, Hebrews exalts and glorifies the finished work of Christ. No other book, no other book in Scripture tells us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Yes, all of Scripture is focused upon Christ, even even the Old Testament, which is always pointing forward to the Messiah. But no other book is as direct and pointed in telling us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. And as the church and as individual believers, we need to be reminded of this. Because very often, and sadly some churches have done it, very often it's easy to take our eyes off of Jesus and in doing so, we focus on the, the stresses and the worries uh, of, the, of, of the world in which we all live. And we forget that as believers, as Christians, that we live in, in, in the victory of the, the finished work of Jesus. And too often we can feel that, that we are defeated and we, and we can't cope with life and what we, what we face. And any church who has taken her eyes off of Jesus as the sole reason and purpose for her existence is lost. Thirdly, and as just mentioned, all of Scripture points forward, forward to Christ and then looking forward again to his return and his, his eternal reign over heaven and earth. But more than any other book, Hebrews helps us to make a clear connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, George Guthrie, in his commentary on Hebrews, says that of all the writings of the New Testament, none is more saturated with overt references to the Old Testament. The author, is so, f- has, the author so filled his discourse with Old Testament thoughts and passages that they permeate every chapter. Thirty five quotations from a Greek translation of the Old Testament and 34 allusions work to support the development of Hebrews' argument. In addition, the writer offers 19 summaries of Old Testament material and 13 times he mentions an Old Testament name or topic, often without reference to a specific context. Now maybe at this stage that doesn't make an awful lot of sense, but hopefully as we work our way through it, we will come to see exactly what that means. It was um, uh, St. Augustine who coined the phrase, You may have heard this before, that the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. The new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. And we see time and again that the author is, is contrasting the, the Old Testament uh, system of law with the New Testament system uh, ministry of grace. He clearly displays that the Old Testament system of law and sacrifice is a, is a, a temporary system. That it, it is fading away and that it cannot compare with the, the greater and better ministry of grace which uh, Christ would, would bring into the world. Jesus himself said during his sermon on the mount, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Matthew 5 and 17. And it reminds us once again of that glorious truth that there is nothing that we can do. There is no sacrifice that we can make. There is no law that we must keep that can make us right with God nothing. That is only possible through trusting in the finished work of Jesus. Then fourthly, the book of, oh sorry, there's that, I'll go back. Fourthly, the the, the book of Hebrews emphasizes the authority of God's word, the authority of the word of God. And in doing so, it, it urges us to heed its warnings and its exhortations. And it is on this point that we find that many people begin to steer away from uh, from this letter, because it becomes too, or appears to be too difficult to understand what God is saying. Another um, uh, commentator, Warren Wearsby, in his commentary in Hebrews, says that many people have avoided the epistle to the Hebrews and consequently have robbed themselves of practical spiritual help. Some have avoided this book because they are afraid of it. The warnings, and there are warnings in Hebrews, have made them uneasy. Others have avoided this book because they think it's too difficult for the average Bible student. And as we make our way through the letter, we will come to see what these warnings and what these exhortations, what they look like and what they are. And through these, we will see that this letter not only emphasizes the authority of God's Word, but that it expresses the importance, the great importance of applying its truth to our daily lives. One such example of this is a challenge to live by faith. Chapter 11 gives a, a, a detailed account of the, the many Old Testament individuals who lived by faith. And in doing so it calls us to do the same. Because as a believer, faith is the only way of viewing our experiences since it is the way in which we are called to to understand the universe and we are called to understand God's purposes within it. We are to live by faith. Fifthly, it is a book which urges us to press on to maturity in Christ. In chapter 12 uh, we read, no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. You know, discipline is, is, is painful as a child, when we're disciplined, we don't like it, but it's for our good. Our parents know what's best for us. No, discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. See, discipline, if, discipline, if received in the right spirit, will produce character. And there are times that that God will discipline us in line with our actions. There are times when um, our our brothers and sisters in Christ may, may also have to discipline us. In his letter to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul writes, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And you know, there are times and there's been times in my life and there are times in our lives that God has to, has to bring our lives back in check with what His Word teaches us. Often this can come about as a result of our maybe our relationships and actions towards other individuals and, and even towards other Christians. Because if we, if we aren't heeding Christ's command, that command to, to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourselves, more than likely God will bring us back to that place and we don't like it and he gets he, 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 gets, he wants to, to, to help to change us and to shape us and to show us how we're living and to transform us and we don't like it especially if it is calling us to, to forgive and, and maybe to, to seek reconciliation with someone who's wronged us sixthly and we're, we're, we're almost there Hebrews calls us towards endurance and towards perseverance and this is this is so relevant for the church today as we find ourselves more increasingly under persecution from secularism and, and from the culture in which we live. You know, people often say that for, for even for, for young people that, uh, um, uh, you know, we can say as parents, oh, I was your age once and I, I know what it's like growing up to be as a teenager. None of us know what it's like to be a teenager today because it's so different today than what it was when I was a teenager and when you were a teenager. There's so much pressure and, uh, and stress upon teenagers through social media and different things that we never had and it caused us to, to persevere against this and to persevere secularism in the culture in which we live. How, how do we as the body of Christ stand up for what scripture teaches yet at the same time show love towards those who would persecute us and attempt to bring their own personal beliefs and agendas upon the established truths of truth of God's word? How does it teach us to 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 love people, to love people who are maybe um, uh, confused about their their sexuality and their their gender? And uh, we're called to love those people and to not shun them. We're called to welcome them into the church. How can we do that? hopefully we will be challenged to think upon these things in a deeper and fuller way as we look through this book together and I believe that in itself is what God wants to do with us as we study his Word together he wants to take us to a a deeper and a, a greater understanding of himself and his purposes in the world and perhaps as we make our way through the book, we will begin to see and realize that the problem with Hebrews is not that it is, is convoluted and confusing and, and confusing and difficult to understand. But in fact, the problem lies with the human heart. It lies with ourselves and with our, our apathy at times to grasp what God is telling us and calling us to do. And really from next Sunday, God willing, we will look together at some of the the awesome statements. And they are awesome statements and claims that the author makes about Christ in this opening chapter. For in that opening chapter, we see the author clearly just setting out a stall, putting it all out there. He unreservedly demonstrates the superiority of Jesus. And what is also significant about this letter is, unlike other New Testament uh, letters, there is, there is no word of, of salutation, there is no word of, of introduction. You know, in other letters of Paul, he already, always introduces himself and who he's writing to. We know who he's writing and who it's been written to, but not in, this, not in this letter. But what we see is that the author just plunges uh, straight into his subject. It's almost as though he, he just cannot contain himself. He has been given this this holy impatience to to set forth the glories of Christ in all his splendor. And as we study this letter together, it is my prayer that Christ Christ would impart to each of us a holy impatience. A holy impatience that, that burns with a passion to tell others of the good news of Jesus. That God would begin to to bring us to that place of maturity in Him to take us deeper and and further in our walk with the Lord, and as we we begin that journey together, let us do it as people who listen not merely as those who would hear the Word but who listen with a perceptive heart, and then let us go and go and and, and, and live out the truths of God's word, that we may be men and women, and young people who listen, who act, and who move in the ways that God is calling us to move. That's my prayer. Let us pray. And God, we do pray that as we begin this uh, this journey, this study through this, uh, this letter, which uh, has been given your authority, it is ordained by you, it is authority, it is a word of God himself, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to us. And that you would begin, Lord, even to do that work of discipline and maturity in our lives as individuals and as a church. That we would grow more in you. And that we would be strengthened to go, Lord, and to declare the good news of the gospel and to tell others about Jesus. Help us to fix our eyes upon him. That our lives would be a song which declares that Jesus is the name that we honor. He is the one that we serve, the one that we live for. And may it all be to his glory and praise. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing in closing hymn number 214. Jesus is the name we honour.
1: Jesus is the name we honour. Jesus is the name
0: remind you of our cafe church this evening from five thirty. would be great uh, to see you there this evening and also can I ask members of Kirk session please to remain uh, very briefly at the close of the service just for a couple of minutes and if we would just gather in the minister's room members of Kirk session let's pray and now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all this day and forevermore amen